A couple of weeks before the U.S. election, members of Congress Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar played a video game called Among Us with a live online audience. They streamed it on Twitch, which, if you're not familiar with it, is a streaming site where you can watch gamers play live. And I tweeted out yesterday that I just want to play Among Us. Who wants to play with me? Maybe we can do something on Twitch to get out the vote. And just immediately, there was just so much support from the community. It basically broke the internet. It was one of the most watched streams on Twitch of all time. This is a big deal. The gaming industry in 2020 is on track to be worth $160 billion, which is more than Hollywood, music, or books. In other words, culture. It's the shared experiences of communities. So it's not just the business of gaming that is huge. The cultural influence is too. Now imagine you're a student today. Maybe you are a student today. What would it be like to learn from a professor of video games? They look at my card and they say, Professor of video games? And how did a teenage obsession with Street Fighter turn into an academic drive to incorporate gaming into building more inclusive societies? I'm Hannah Sung. Welcome to What Do We Do Tomorrow, a podcast from Six Degrees at the Institute for Canadian Citizenship and the Walrus Lab. How did we get to where we're at today, to a place where American members of Congress are connecting with voters through a video game? So the biggest thing, I'm going to be very honest with you, that as of March 12th of 2020, like news and media have been contacting me like crazy because suddenly they want to talk about not just violence. What are, like, wait, hold on. You can talk about mental health. You can talk about cooking. You can talk about surgery. You can talk about all this stuff happens in video games. And I'm like, yeah, let me tell you. Or how about you read my dissertation a little? Because I talk a little bit about that as well. And they're like, oh, my goodness. It's such a rich source. But when it comes to video games and um, just change, change of perception, there are a lot of things being revealed, like community, connection, parenting, That's Dr. Chris Alexander, professor of video games. He's a Ryerson University academic, and I wanted to know how his teenage obsession with Street Fighter turned into an academic drive to incorporate gaming into building more inclusive societies. The COVID-19 pandemic is changing our sense of community, so it's a good time to be really intentional in thinking about this. Today, we're talking about building community online and making it more inclusive, and Dr. Alexander will be our guide. Dr. Chris Alexander, you are a video games professor, which I love saying. <laughs> <laughs> and and before we start, you know, I've just got to say, you and I know each other socially, but I haven't seen you in a little while, and now I just see you cropping up online, all these news stories about what you're up to, and I love seeing it. So... I, I want to know more about the video gaming culture because probably the students who come to you are already a part of that culture. I consider myself to be someone who's pretty much outside of the video gaming culture. How would you describe gaming culture? So I guess the culture of gaming is very interesting, particularly as of late, because, uh, you know, I break it up into two categories, really. There's endemic and then non-endemic. So people that are uh, endemic to the space would be people like Intel, Microsoft, Sony. People that are non-endemic would be like Visa, MasterCard, and, and, and Louis Vuitton. These are all humans that have participated in the realm of video games, but one of them associates itself and makes good sense, and the other one is sort of like, hmm? 
to the question of community as it stands with video games. Right now, usually, the community is very close-knit. They appreciate endemics coming. They also now, they have open arms to non-endemics, but it's a really tricky thing when there are non-endemics trying to sort of position themselves inside of the space. So for the video games community, we play games, we love games, and that's sort of where everything comes out of. So there's the passion for games, and it's, it's sort of like in the classroom for me, people are like, oh, you're a professor of video games. But then they look at me on Twitch or they see me, uh, replays of me playing my favorite video games, and they're like, oh, wait a second, hold on. He's one of us. Like, there's no, you can't, you can't pretend to be globally ranked in video games. You can't pretend to enjoy playing games. So that's, that's step one of community. We play games, and that's it. <laughs> we play games. Everything else stems from outside of there. But uh, if you're new to the space, what we would say is, Let's play games. Let's <laughs> it. Let's play a couple games. <laughs> play a game on your phone. Try it out. See what it's like. If you don't like it, cool. Find another one. But there is absolutely a video game for every single one of us. So yeah, it, it's a it's a close knit community, but we have open arms. We just we just want as many people who enjoy the space to come and enjoy the space. And we're really wary of those who are coming in to try and disrespect the space because a lot of us we've used video games to save ourselves, right? So. And it's a place where we go to. And so, you know, for me anyways, I can't speak about everybody. I'm fairly protective of this idea of video games, this idea of video games community and, and what it means to me personally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you use the very academic terms endemic and non-endemic, but it also sounds like you're talking about insiders and outsiders to the community and, and people who game. And I'm wondering, you know, what, what did you mean by a lot of us have used games to save ourselves? Mm. Uh, so in my own case, I, I, there's a story that I can tell about this. Uh, my dad came to watch my dissertation. So my PhD was all about video games and what we can extract from video games to port into classroom instruction, not the fun bits. For example, there is a limit to how much text you should have on a screen at any given time. That number is between 26 and 36 characters, not words, characters. Video games know this. They say things like HP, which stands for health power or healing power, depending on the game. We don't put the whole word health power because it will cause our players to play for less amount of time because that's how we cater to cognition. But in the classroom, you've had professors before, I'm sure, that are cutting and pasting droves of notes, putting them on a screen, and then try to say things like, oh, kids' attention spans have diminished over the years. Well, that's not true. If you look at the way cognition actually works... There's only a certain amount of text you can put on a screen. And video games know that, which is why gamers are able to game for so long. But we're not looking at those components of video games. Usually we're looking at the violence and the anger and all that stuff. But there are a lot of good things, particularly in terms of engagement for long periods of time, reward systems, persuasion, tunneling, the way that we can get concepts. Because there's not a single video game you could play that doesn't teach you something. In the personal life, to get back to my dad's story, after... I finished my defense. I said, Dad, how come, how come you never had a problem with me playing so many video games as a kid? And here's what he said that changed my life again. He said, son, the reason why I was okay with you playing video games in the comfort of our home is because I knew that when I turned on the news, you weren't going to be there. And I was like, oh, man. He said, video games is something you gravitated towards, that and music production. 
And I was so happy that you weren't wanting to go out to the clubs and go to these areas where when I watch the news, most of the stories they're showing us would be like, oh, man, my son, he's not going to make it. But he is going to make it because I can hear him screaming in the basement. So that is. <laughs> <laughs> OK, <laughs> can we can we can we just dig deeper a little bit to understand why your dad would be afraid of seeing you on the news when it comes to those news stories? You know, it's, it's easier to talk about now than it was when he didn't say it. But, you know, the way that the media often portrays black men is not in the greatest of lights. Like, when was the last time you saw a news story about a person of color with a Ph.D. in video game? You know what I mean? Like, this is it's such a it's a we're in a different time now. But at that time, it wasn't as overt. We weren't talking about it. And I would imagine that my dad was even afraid of saying, don't go out there, because when he says that, I'd be like, oh, why? And then I go out. But he just watched me enjoy and he just didn't want me to become another statistic. What I mean by that is some of the areas that I would need to go through and to, particularly for work, there's just potential for non-safety, you can say, right? And staying at home, the percentage is quite lower. You know, you, you can hear yelling and screaming in the house, but you know it's connected to some kind of video game and, and nothing other than or outside of that, right? So, yeah. That's that's the way I see it. And even now, when I'm trying to unpack, I'm sort of like nervous. I'm like, oh, can I say this? Like, it's just times are different, and it's 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 it hasn't always been nice for for us um, as black men growing up. Like the way that people treat us, the way you know the workforce. It's it's not it's not simple. So coming home, coming back to safety is is always a good option. I do think that's a really really interesting thing that your dad said to you as a grown-up, maybe not wanting to necessarily talk about that when you were the teenager in the basement. Mm-hmm. It struck me to think about teenage Chris in the basement <laughs> yelling and playing <laughs> video games that, you know, right now a lot of us are doing that because we are stuck at home or we're spending more time at home because of COVID. What observations have you made since people have been staying home more when it comes to what you already know about video gaming culture? A lot of us played games when we were younger. And now that we've been in this area for so long, we've been like, well, we're out of video games for so long and returning and been inside of this pandemic. We're sort of like, wait, can video games? And you open up a browser and look at the games right now and they are spectacular compared to when we grew up. Spectacular. I mentioned uh, mental health. There's a game called The Cat Lady. I mentioned issues of racism. There's a game called Virginia and another one called Black Sad, where you actually play as a Black Panther, a detective. So, like, there's so much subtext in there. And Virginia, you play as um, a Black woman FBI agent who is tasked with investigating internally another person of color FBI agent. No spoiler. So, yeah, these are the types of things when I tell people, they're like, whoa, video games can do that? Yes, yes. And even if you're looking at the sense of community in games like Animal Crossing or Among Us or Fall Guys, and, and these are things that are trending a little bit more now, but there are going to be studies, and I'm hoping that I can spearhead them, about the transformation of multiplayer games as a result of the pandemic. For example, Fall Guys is more of like a community American Gladiators or American Ninja Warrior-esque or Takashi's Castle kind of experience. Among Us is sort of like, if you've had an, enough of spending a lot of time being nice to your friends well here's a game where you can backstab your friends and at the end of the game it's okay we're still friends right so the, these to me these are some of the rich things that we're learning because we're having to sit pun intended with video games and sort of figure these kinds of things out like is there a game for me yes there is 
Are there educational experiences for me? Yes, there are. I, I always talk about the platform that my kids uh, and I frequent. It's called Reading Eggs. And that's tied to governmental curriculum in ways that unless you like click the about, you'll never know. But it's, it's interesting to see how video game tech has advanced. And it's interesting to look at how people are starting to open their eyes and be like, wait a second. Is there another game to play other than Fortnite? Oh, yeah, there are, there, are, there are quite a few games. In fact, close to 30 or 40 years of video games that you can play. And just to clarify, when you mention your kids are, are doing this Reading Eggs game, how old are your kids? Oh, uh, they are four and seven. Oh, and I know them. They're so sweet. <laughs> Those <laughs> and, babies. <laughs> they are. And, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you just mentioned Among Us as one of the you know, big games of the moment. And I'm glad you mentioned it because for two reasons. Number one, I've observed my son, who is nine, playing mm-hmm. a game in the park uh, with his friends called Among Us. And I thought, what is this new childhood game that's called Among <laughs> Us? Huh, what a literary sounding title for a game. And meanwhile, having no clue it's a video game. And I don't even know if he knows it's a video game. So it's interesting how video games spill over into our real life culture. Mm. And then also because AOC. Alexandria yep. Ocasio-Cortez, Congresswoman yep. from the U.S., That's correct. played Among Us last week. So this is... Shattering we're recording this. Yes, exactly. And we're recording this um, a, a few weeks before we're publishing. Um, but she did shatter records by streaming this on Twitch. So mm-hmm. for the people who don't know what Twitch is, for example, let's, let's, mm. let's get the nutshell from the video games, Professor. What is Twitch? What does it All do? Right. So Twitch is an online broadcasting platform that initially specialized in video games and video game playing. Now they have music, there's art, and I'm hoping that they'll help me work on Twitch education because that's also one of the places where I spearheaded one of my lectures. Now, um, Twitch, uh, 2019 numbers, at any point in time during the day, there were more than 975,000 people watching. That's 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so you're, you're talking about a platform that has massive ability to shape our culture. Yes. And AOC knew that, and she used yep. it. Tell me about what you're seeing in the land of Twitch in terms of communities and, and people coming together. Wow. So uh, Twitch has always been, since, it's, uh, since it was formerly called Justin TV before its acquisition, uh, it has always been a place for community. Here's the other thing about Twitch. People that are now learning about Twitch and they're like, oh yeah, wow, this is just like YouTube. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. That's why Google tried to acquire it. Just think about that for a minute. No, it's not like YouTube because you have to understand that the future of broadcasting and engagement, and you know, I should work out a paper about this, exists within twitch what do i mean a lot of times when i come on to do podcasts and stuff people are like yo chris you have all these different transitions you have all these scenes you have all these things that you do inside of your classroom how do you do this and why do you do this and this is what twitch streamers do and they're like wait a second so you're doing all the tech on your own you're doing all your sound on your own you're doing all your lighting on your own Wow, that's cool. Well, guess what? Almost every single streamer you see on Twitch is doing that, too. I'm not special. These humans that are on Twitch are technological geniuses, but they're also masters of engaging with the population, chatting with them, establishing community while playing a game or doing their art. Eventually, we're going to look at Twitch and be like, oh, my goodness. 
this, this is where the future creators are. I'll give you an example. In the classroom, I used to teach 3D artists. And I'm not blown away anymore because I just have this really, I'm biased. Like every student that I've met is awesome. Every single one. And I tell them that to their face and they're like, wait a second, I don't believe it. Yes, I don't care if you don't believe it. I'm telling you, you're here because you're awesome. So in 3D art class, we'd have students that are doing this incredible art. And I say, hey, listen, man, do you want to see how powerful your superpower is outside of me just telling you it is? They're like, yeah. Okay, class, let's go over to Twitch and we'll go to Twitch and there's a section called art. And I'll say, hey, look at all these streamers right now. I'll take the one that has 700 viewers right now and I'll click on that stream. And they'll be like, whoa, 700 people are watching this person draw their 3D art? I said, yes, that's correct. They're like, whoa, I can't do that. I was like, oh, you think you can't do that? So what does the professor do? He walks up to the computer. He sends a direct message to the streamer who's streaming live. And I've never had it not happen. I say, hello, uh, I'm a professor inside of the school. And I am teaching in front of 80 students right now who believe that they can't get started and do what you're doing. Do you have any words for them? Every single time the streamer stops what they're doing. Remember, this is live to all of their viewers. They stop what they're doing and say, oh, hey, what's up, everybody? I, I see I'm live in your class right now. Let me explain. And the streamer themselves explains to the students why they can be exactly like them. Now, I think that's more powerful than me saying something. There's somebody that's out there streaming. And usually while the stream happens, somebody donates between, what was it, 50 and $500 to the streamer while they're doing their art. And the students are like, yo, they're doing homework, just like I'm doing homework. And I say, yeah, exactly. How do you not believe in your talent? This talented individual is telling you right now, and you have the superpower. You know how to do it. And that's when it starts to unpack. Wait a second. I can. I can. I should. It's not Chris. It's somebody else who just got donated to. I got to at least give it a shot. Students now have a rich opportunity to showcase their skills. And often in academia, there's this weird idea that you have to wait until you leave in order to be good. And I'm trying to tell these students now, they're good now. And if they don't think they're good now, and they choose to put themselves out there, they will see what is good out there. They'll see what levels of talent exist in their space. There's a DJ. I can't remember their name right now. Every Friday, they have a beautiful backdrop, lights, strobes, glow sticks, and a chat window. And you type in the chat window what song you want, and they play it. They're a DJ for any house. See what I'm saying? So all these kinds of things exist on Twitch. It's a vast area of research and observation of how communities come together how skills are transferred, how individuals strengthen themselves internally, both mentally and technologically and technically as well in terms of, wait a second, if there's something I don't understand, I could either ask the streamer or I could type it into a search engine and then watch a video about it until I'm familiar or I could try it. I can even type in the word free and see how I could do it for free. Everything you're seeing right now, all these transitions, the subtitles, zero dollars and zero cents. Zero dollars and zero cents. People are like, yo, are you using fancy software? I'm like, no. Why are you doing that? I said, because I got to teach my students that it doesn't take expensive software in order for you to bring your vision to light. And, you know, I just want to mention for people listening that uh, we are on a video chat right now, oh. you and I, Chris, and, and you had shown me a bunch of interesting transitions and wipes or what they're called. You know, I, I started my career in, in TV and what you're describing is basically the job of a technical director, which was a very high level job. You would switch between cameras. You would, you know, make sure the audio was good. Like you would be the person in charge of a whole crew 
of workers, but now any one of your students is doing that job while they're doing this other thing. Exactly. And where are the conversations about that, Hannah? Where are the conversations about that? <laughs> right here. You could say, you could, that's great. That's right. You're right. When, when, you're, when you're saying that each individual on Twitch is a technical director, I wish students, and they will hear this podcast, they're going to be like, oh, man, I am amazing. That's right, folks. That's right. You are amazing. Oh, yeah. I'm addicted to a game. That's what external will say. But I'm also a technical director, like, and especially in COVID. Wait, hold on a second. You're doing your own camera angles and lighting and sound on your own? Hold up. Remote jobs. Let's check it out. And, and so they're seeing these things, like technical director exists in video games, particularly in esports. And now they're looking for online technical directors. I just got two of my students' jobs to work for the Toronto Alpha Flight. And those are highly technical jobs that they required people to use this free piece of software that I'm talking to you about right now, OBS. So... so these things are happening now. Students are at an advantage, I feel, because by default, by engaging in this online world via video games, they are so qualified for many jobs that they haven't even thought of previously. This is why your students must, one of the many reasons why your students <laughs> must love you, because, you know, they see a future for themselves, right? Like people are talking a lot about how this generation, uh, things will be really tough Job-wise, many industries are kind of collapsing from within. The economic pressures and, and just business models are changing so fast. Mm-hmm. And, and people mm-hmm. see a future for themselves with what, you're, with what you're teaching. You know, I'm really curious about, we've been talking a lot about, you know, find your game, find your community. There is a community for you. And then a little bit of the video gaming world versus the real life world, quote unquote, Way earlier in our conversation, you had mentioned how video games were saving you. Mm. And really, that stems from a kind of exclusion in the real world, right? We're talking Mm. about systemic racism, interpersonal racism, and how you found an incredible world for yourself. And you became globally ranked in Street Fighter. I know that about (laughs) you. You became like an expert at what you were doing. Um, But, you know, if that's the way a lot of people get into games, can we talk about that inclusion, exclusion equation, you know, like video games are the place where people can feel included. I mean, is that too Pollyanna-ish to say, oh, video games is the is the utopia of where people can all feel included? It can be. It absolutely can be. I feel when I was globally ranked in Street Fighter, nobody cared about what color I was. They just knew the name like, yo. This person, whoever's playing, whoever's behind this in-game name, IGN, is good. Wow. And you make friends off of that. But then how could, I mean, every game is a community. And if I'm not part of that game and community, how can I uh, build a link or relationship? Uh, Like... uh, I'm trying to explore the tension between the inclusion and exclusion. Like, how can I make sure that there's no negative ramifications that are kind of inadvertent? Well, I don't I don't know if we can control that. I don't know if we can control inclusion, exclusion. It's just that when when you're looking at communities, if you want to be included, you will find a way to include yourself and with enough time and often some kind of contribution to the community be it like oh it's so great to talk to yeah like the offline conversations we have something like this 
for connection. I'm not suggesting that all communities can be inclusive because please believe I'm a part of many communities where I do not feel included and some ways where the inclusion is not genuine, but I still have to participate. This is the external world now. But in the game world, I can not feel a part of the community and just leave. Every, everything is not for everybody. It's just not, I've never experienced that. And I, my favorite thing is when people come at me to say, everyone should be included. I'll be like, word, let me tell you about a couple of stories from my life now where I'm not included. I can tell you now. And I want you to tell me how I can rectify it. And they're going to like, well, it's years of, okay, cool. But how do I fix it now though? Well, you know, actually, it's going to take a lot of time. Exactly. So it's the same thing with the online communities. It's going to take some time. It's, it's never going to be instant. And it's, I think it's almost in some ways unreasonable to feel that every community can accept everybody. I think it's unreasonable because there's not a single superhero, single story where one individual does everything for everybody. There's no video game where you can go everywhere. There's no video game where you can become everything. People are not scolding the developers of Untitled Goose Game because there's no DLC of a fox and you can play the Untitled Goose Game as a fox. Nobody's doing that because they respect what it is and they consume and engage with the community as it is. So I know I don't know if that's the answer that most were hoping for, but it's just like I can't, I've never been included everywhere. And that's sort of how I respond, be like, okay, show me one where I'm included equally and honored and respected for my skill and background and pedigree and they're like oh well yeah okay so how can we expect other places to do it if it's not happening for everybody everywhere Mm -hmm. in the real world Mm. so much discrimination exists Mm -hmm. and then there are so many people and organizations who are trying to rectify that Mm. for example anti-racism as a movement you know Mm. I just want to take a hard left for a second and ask you, do you think, do you think governments should be gaming? <laughs> In fact, I was requested by the CRTC to come out and educate them about video games and esports last year. Hey, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, so for those who don't know, the CRTC, the Canadian Radio, Television and Telecommunications Committee, mm-hmm. uh, one of the huge governing bodies of basically all broadcasted content in Canada. We went to talk to them about video games and esports at their request. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So they could. But find I'm out talking more. about like doing. I'm talking about doing your taxes. I'm talking about um, the educational system, right? Uh-huh, I'm talking uh-huh. about healthcare. Uh-huh. I'm talking about all the institutions that are supposed to be a leveler of the playing field for every citizen like Uh should these institutions be getting into gaming it depends so there are elements of gaming i'll give you an example and this is this is uh grand theft auto 5 a lot of people hate that game they talk about all the violence inside of it it has been statistically substantiated that there is coded racism into Grand Theft Auto V. And that is, if you travel to the more financially affluent areas as the black character, the police are visibly and clearly more aggressive to you. Right? And people will say, oh, that's terrible. How could they put that in a game? But I'm asking a different question. Because a lot of people don't know this, but Grand Theft Auto, the streets are based on real life. The gang symbols are based on real life. The music is based on real life. The clothing... The cars, pretty much everything, street corners, based on the real world. So my question, which usually has people thinking, is if they've said that racism is coded into Grand Theft Auto V, 
Is it likely that Rockstar, the company that made it, hired a bunch of researchers to find the perfect amount of racism to sprinkle in? Or are they grabbing those statistics from somewhere and just saying, hey, yo, run the numbers. This is how it goes. Which one is cheaper? And when I let them sit with that comment, then I'll say, so when you're looking at things like what governing bodies, education, all these things that you're mentioning, they have numbers. They know, because this happens with banks and who gets mortgages, they know which areas to stay away from, quote unquote, because of the financials. They obviously know which schools are in disarray. They know which, because they can ask Rogers and Bell, who has access to good internet on any given day because they're monitoring all the traffic. They have these numbers. The bigger question is, what could they do with these numbers? And if they can do something magical, how come it's not happening? Maybe it's not a yes or no question about whether government should get into, understand, and use gaming. Is it a yes or no question? Uh, when, okay, so when people say gaming, I don't, I, I don't want to talk about the fun bits. I want to talk about the fact that they could have numbers about which areas have good internet which community centers have good internet and could be set up as learning hubs across the city, or which areas don't have access to as much vehicles, so that means we should have some kind of chartered bus service or something, rental car organization sponsored by the government in order to get people out to access the education inside of the free community center uh, or the libraries where the computer will allow you to access an online education. These types of things. If you're using that data to create programs that make sense, that would be good. But a lot of times when I'm seeing decisions, they seem unsubstantiated and they seem like people are guessing or they're trying to. I don't I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Mm. Video games, they'll take all of these stats in terms of player use and player data and they'll use that to make decisions that help people engage longer because that's often what you need. It's not necessarily happening. We're not using game tech in the same way, in my view, anyway. Yeah. So, you know, I could talk about this with you forever, because it is like you're describing a whole world that's overlaid on our, our world. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask if you can, you know, our show is called, what do we do tomorrow? If you can take all of your heady knowledge and give us one thing, whether we're an insider or not to the gaming culture, one thing you think we should do so that Gaming culture can continue to grow in a way that is more inclusive, that builds better, more inclusive communities. What is one thing that you or I could do? We can educate ourselves about video games, the power that video games can hold for us specifically. And if we start to talk about this in the classroom, that's how we start to change these systemic things. Because I'm working with a group of over 150 students who don't like monetization structures. And they're telling me in their assignments, I'm gonna change this. I'm gonna move it back to the way it was. We used to just buy a product and it worked. But it's because I'm talking like this in front of them that they're like, whoa, I can change something about video games. So the number one thing of what we could do for tomorrow is educate ourselves. Well, Chris, I want to thank you so much for making the time to, you know, enlighten me and, you know, just talk to all of us about video gaming and, and the power. Thank you so much. Thank you. So what do we do tomorrow? As Chris says, 
If people are not included everywhere in the real world, if there is anti-Black racism built into games, how can we merge the escape and entertainment aspect of games with the reality that this is the way many of us are congregating and socializing with each other? Chris has really helped me reframe my understanding of what video games can do and should do to help us build inclusive online communities. So for my part, I'd like to see better representation in game design and coding and story building. And in the meantime, if I ever get into gaming myself, I'm going to bring a community-minded civic mindset to all the chats and gameplay. Thank you to Dr. Chris Alexander for telling us how video games can be incorporated into building inclusive online communities. And thank you for listening to What Do We Do Tomorrow? Our last episode was all about voting and democracy, so go back and check it out if you haven't already. Coming up, we have more episodes on racism and food and what it means to really consider land in a colonial system. To get all our future episodes, make sure you're subscribed. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. This episode was produced by Noah Snyderman. Executive producers are Aisha Jara and David Leonard of ICC and Six Degrees, the Global Forum for Inclusion, and Mihira Lakshman at the Walrus Lab. I'm your host, Hannah Sung. If you like what you heard, share this. Forward this podcast to a friend. And you can get on all the socials. Tell us your thoughts on what do we do tomorrow. Use the hashtag TomorrowPodcast. That's T-O-M-O-R-R-O-W podcast. And to see more from the ICC and Six Degrees, please visit inclusion.ca. Thank you for listening.